to climb and it looks like it's impossible more victory to be mine but i'll depend completely on the one who cannot fail my father will deliver and his power will for sure, without a doubt. Well, praise the Lord. We're going to deviate a little bit from our theme, the Lord's Day. We're not going to do that uh, series today. I felt compelled to talk about something extremely important today, something extremely urgent, uh, the Super Bowl. But anyway, <laughs> um, do you know that almost 100 million tuned in to watch the Super Bowl in 2022? Do you realize that this year they expect that number to exceed that dramatically? Some have estimated upwards of 192 million 
will watch the Super Bowl, which I think they're being a little bit, uh, it'll be way, it won't be that many. But anyway, I'll be surprised if it is. I think uh, I'll make my prediction now, between 120 and 150. But at any rate, they're saying upwards of 192 million. I mean, it's no big deal, that many people, it's nothing. This year's advertisers, those advertisers are paying $7 million for 30 seconds on a commercial. Can you imagine that? 30 seconds, $7 million. Man, if they just gave us 30 seconds of their advertising budget, we wouldn't have to work again the rest of our lives, would we? <laughs> We'd be set. The last two teams in the National Football League are left standing. We have the Philadelphia Eagles, and they're going to be, he's from Philly, going to be uh, playing the Kansas City Chiefs today. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy, I tell you what, you know, with more states legalizing sports betting this past year, there could be easily between 800 million and 1 billion wagered, legally, mind you, legally, on the Super Bowl this year. $800 million to $1 billion. That's a lot of money, isn't it? And again, I said legally, that's exactly what it is. I mean, can you imagine the illegal betting that's taking place? Ohioans, now that there's this new law that's been passed and they can now gamble, they claim that $82 million will probably be spent on this game alone, just in Ohio. $82 million. Now, there's some specific bets. We'll get past this, trust me. Some of you are going, wait, he's really serious. Uh, but, we're gonna, but, but there are some specific bets that are going to take place. Listen to some of these bets. How long will the national anthem take? Over or under? You know what I mean? Can you imagine that? Is it going to be a minute, you know, and 58 seconds? Or is it going to be, you know, uh, between a minute and 58 seconds or a, a two minutes and four seconds? Over, under. Which is it? You can bet on that. Will the coin toss be heads or tails? You, you can do that. You can place a wager. How many times will Tom Brady be mentioned on the broadcast? <laughs> and that's no lie. Over or under? I think it's one and a half. Over or under? One and a half. I, I kind of tend to agree. But anyway, will a missed kick hit the uprights? That's, I mean... The Cowboys aren't in it, so we're pretty safe. <clears throat> and then, what color Gatorade will be poured on the winning coach? Can you imagine that? They're going to gamble. There's people gambling on that. Now, in 2020, there were 5.7 million Americans with gambling disorder. A gambling disorder, they claim. Again, I don't have all the definitions of what a gambling disorder is, but that sounds like a lot of people to me. When you consider that 5.7 of the entire population, uh, 5.7 million in the entire population have, this, have a disorder of sorts for gambling, and yet we know that not all American citizens gamble. So it's a lot higher percentage than they'd like us to believe. That's a lot of people. Evidence of gambling has been found in ancient cultures around the world, let's be honest. Archaeologists have unearthed dice marked with pips and dots on them from Mesopotamia dating back to 1300 B.C. They've also located records of dice games in Greece and Indian cities before 400 B.C. It's just been part of our culture, hasn't it? You know, the Bible 
doesn't specifically condemn gambling, betting, or if you will, the lottery even. It doesn't come right out and say, thou shalt not bet on the lottery. Thou shalt not gamble. It doesn't say that. We're not given those specific words. But then again, a lot of things that God would have us do or not do are based on principles. God doesn't, how in the world could he possibly give us a, literally a list of do's and don'ts that cover every aspect of human life? He can't do that. Boy, that, it would be a lot longer book than the Word of God, right? And then you figure and consider all the different cultures and all the different uh, times in history and, and the different words and how people express themselves. Well, we're going to have all these different languages, all these different words, all these different dialects, and everything's going to be outlined specifically, word for word, exactly what God wants, exactly what he doesn't. Hey, listen, his word explains to us what God says is good, what is bad, what is right, what is wrong. And it's a book, the word of God, that is practical for every generation and that's why often he uses principles to help us understand some of these what we would call gray areas but I don't think gambling is a gray area and that's not really what I'm going to focus my attention on today but I do want to mention it because there's a lot of Americans that are doing it and there's a lot of American homes that are hurting because of it used to be preachers got up and preached against alcohol and they preached against gambling. We don't preach much about those things anymore, do we? Why is that? Maybe because it's pretty culturally acceptable today. Matter, matter of fact, like you say, the state of Ohio even just approved it, and they say $82 million could potentially be spent just on one game alone. That's an amazing amount of money. And can you say, well, why would they allow it? Because it's an amazing amount of money. That is why gambling is being legalized. That's why marijuana is being legalized. There's money in it. It doesn't matter how many lives are wrecked and ruined. It doesn't matter how many homes are destroyed, how many marriages are totally and completely cast upon the rocks. It doesn't matter. Money's all that matters. If that was the case, we wouldn't be drinking alcohol today. They can tell us we can't smoke, but we can drink alcohol. They can tell us we can't smoke or vape, but we can smoke marijuana. That doesn't make any sense to me. Holy Spirit doesn't agree either. <laughs> now, look at 1 Timothy chapter 6 real quick, all right? I'm just going to give you two basic thoughts because, again, every once in a while something like this will come up and you as a believer might say, man, I don't even know what I would say to somebody if they said, well, how come I can't go to Vegas and, you know, Pull one of those, uh, what do they call that, uh, one-armed bandits. Man, I'll tell you one thing I did. We went through Vegas because we were going to see my daughter in Portland, Oregon. And when we got into Vegas, my wife was like wandering around. She couldn't believe some of those huge one-armed bandits. And she sat down in front of one. I took a picture real quick, posted on Facebook. No, I didn't post it on Facebook. <laughs> but I mean, that, that boy was huge. I mean, he's like, Wow. It is tempting, boy. You know, you know what I'm saying? You just want to drop a few bucks in it just to see if you hit the big one. You say, oh, I'd never think that. Well, I'm human. Thank you. I think about that sometimes. I think, man, man, I could one pool. Hear those bells ringing. Cameras flashing. And then I'm like, oh, wait, I'm a preacher. 
1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. Notice there's, there's a couple principles we see here. Now again, the Bible doesn't specifically condemn it like directly. But the principles are there. And one of those principles we find here in this passage, it's very, very important to understand. The Bible warns us to stay away from the love of money. Boy, we are, to, we are not to love money. Watch this, 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Wow. Matter of fact, in Hebrews 13.5, the Bible says, let your conversation be without covetousness. But be content with such things as you have. For you said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Again, there's that principle again, that underlying principle. Wait a second, don't fall in love with money. Don't allow money to, to rule your decision making. Don't allow it to set the framework of your life or lay the foundation for your future. No, the love of money is a very, very ah, fleeing thing. It's a horrible thing because ultimately it'll sink you. Here today, gone tomorrow. We're going to save all of our money up. And boy, I'll tell you what, I'm a little bit concerned that after all that millions I've got saved up, they're going to change the currency on me and give me just pennies on the dollar. And I'll have what I really have in the bank right now. Nothing. But anyway, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you can save up all your life and that quick if it could be gone. Don't love money. Be careful with that. That's a principle. Hold on, wait a second, what's the other one? Just this one other principle that I think kind of governs this area of gambling or betting. The scriptures encourage us to stay away from this, these get-rich-quick kind of schemes. You don't, you don't do that. So we're not to love money, but we're not to fall prey for this idea, I'm just going to make some money quick. I'm going I'm to get some money fast. I'm just going to get rich quick. Proverbs 13, 11. look at this one. Look at Proverbs 13, 11. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 11. Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished. Proverbs 13, 11. Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished, but he that gathereth by labor shall increase. Wow. That doesn't sound like fun, though. That sounds like a lot of work. Well, that's what God's encouraging us to do, be workers. And that's how he wants us to increase our wealth, by being diligent, by working. Proverbs 23, 5. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven, Proverbs 23, 5 says. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10. We have Solomon writing, and boy, I tell you what, he... He's come to a conclusion. He says in Ecclesiastes 5.10, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. You know what he's saying? Something that you love sooner or later, you will probably not be satisfied with it. Nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. The bottom line is, is that gambling most definitely is focused on the love of money and undeniably tempts people with the promise of Quick and easy riches. That's what it does, right? Well, those go against biblical principles. You say, but it doesn't say I can't. Yeah, well, show me where it really does because it doesn't say you can either. 
And furthermore, the principles point to you better be very, very cautious because it'll rule you. You won't rule it. You say, but I, I got a sure thing. Well, if it was a sure thing, it wouldn't be gambling. Right? I know who's going to win until one of those quarterbacks is knocked out in the first quarter. And then the whole thing changes. I thought about that singing of the national anthem, that over-under. I was thinking about that just earlier today, and I thought, man, you know, here you are sitting there waiting to see if you're going to win some money. That You put some money down. Maybe you put $50, $100 on how, you know, whether it's going to be over two minutes and four seconds or under one minute and 58 seconds. And all of a sudden, the singer starts off, and they're like, oh, say, can you see by the... And you're like, yes! But what if they start like, oh, say, can you see... And you're like, oh, man. Right? You know what I mean? I mean, you'd be like bumming the whole game now because you just know it's over already. It's really sad to watch millions and millions of people gamble what they can't afford even to lose. To lose on a football game, I mean, or some other venture. But even more alarming to me, is the way folks gamble with their lives and their eternities. That's a concern. That's a real problem. Even more than material gambling. I mean, to think about gambling with your life, to think about gambling with your eternal future. I want to tell you that I have truly got the inside scoop on a sure thing. I do. Satan has been on a rampage since he fell a number of years ago. Take your Bible, look over at Isaiah chapter 14. Go to Isaiah chapter 14. I'll give you a little bit of a timeline, so to speak, or kind of walk us through a few things. I'm going to just make a quick, very simple application and we'll be done. But watch, watch what's going on here. Man, Satan has been on a rampage since he fell a number of years ago. Look at, look at what happened to him. In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. As soon as you get there, we'll have a quick word of prayer, and then we'll move along. Isaiah chapter 14. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, you'd bless this time now in your word. I pray you'd fill me with your Holy Ghost. I have nothing to say that can add to uh, just the hope and help of these people, except you give it to me. I thank you for the word of God, yes. And Lord, I want to share that. But Lord, help me to share it the way you'd have it be shared. I wish to be simply your servant. And so Lord, I pray you'd guide me now. And Lord, may you just be with every listening ear. May we hear, Father, with spiritual ears today. And may our lives be transformed and changed because of your truths, your word, and your Holy Spirit's work in our life. We need you today. We commit this service into your hands and ask that you would do what needs done in each life and each heart. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Notice what it says in Isaiah 14, verse 12. It says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? 
For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. We see here that Satan made up his mind that he was going to be placed on an equal ground with God in his mind. Actually, he wanted to subvert God. He wanted to literally put God aside and take his place on the throne. He wanted people to bow to him, not to God. He wanted authority and power like nobody's business. And so Satan ultimately fell. And we see that ever since that day, Satan has been in the backyard of every human being trying to wreck and ruin their life and ruin their futures. Ever since that day, there have really only been two teams in the universe. God's and Satan's. There have really only been two families to belong to. God's or Satan's. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 8, verse 39. John chapter 8, verse 39. Speaking to some Pharisees and certain Jews which rejected him and sought to kill him, Jesus is going on to say in John chapter 8, verse 39. Notice what he says here. If ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the work of Abraham. Verse 40 now. But now ye seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. Ye do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him. We be not born of fornication, we have one Father, even God. Jesus saith unto them, If God were your Father, ye would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do ye not understand my speech, even because ye cannot hear my word? Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. Notice ye are of your father the devil. The fact is today is that there's only really two teams to belong to. You can believe, belong to God's team or you can believe to God's or the devil's team. But you know what? It's interesting enough that not only is there Satan's family but on the other hand there's God's as well. There's two families also. Two teams, two families, if you will. The Bible says in the book of Galatians chapter 3, verse 23, I want you to turn there because it's very important. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, excuse me. Very, very important to see this. There are two teams, God's and Satan's. There are two families we're going to see, God's or Satan's. There's not a bunch. You say, well, I've, I belong to the family O'Donnell. Boy, we're, we're literally going crazy here today, aren't we? Yeah, the devil's not happy with this one. Hey, you, we think that's a, we kind of laugh at that, but there's a reality to that. Hold on, let's have a word of prayer. Ready? Let's pray. Father, I ask, Lord, you put a hedge of protection about us. Father, a hedge of thorns even. Keep the devil out even now. And if he's gotten his way in here at all, I pray that you cause him to flee. God of heaven, we need you. And whatever happens, Lord, we're going to trust you and we're going to allow you to do your work in our hearts and lives today. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so notice what he says here in the book of Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. This is important. This is a thought that is being missed today. It's being overlooked by too many. The Bible says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. There are only two families in which you can belong to in this world. Satan's family or God's family. There are only two families in this life in which you can belong to. 
It's Satan's family or God's family. You say, well, how in the world? What are you talking about? Well, the Bible says, for you're all the children of God. But aren't we all the children of God already? Apparently not. The Bible says that it's only by faith in Christ Jesus. We're not automatic. We are God's creation, but we are not God's children. We are God's creation when we are formed and made in the womb and we come forth a human being in in, in the image of Adam, a sinner at the very root. But hold on. We are not the children of God till we exercise faith in Christ Jesus, the Bible says. Two families, two teams. But may I tell you that only one's going to win? Only one's going to win. And you know what? I know who wins. We are presently in what's called the church age. It's important to understand. And we are in what's called ultimately the dispensation of grace. We know that Jesus Christ died on the cross 2,000 years ago. He was buried, and then the Bible says that he rose again the third day. He then ascended up to be with the Father in heaven. He has been there now for 2,000 years. And can I tell you that during that time, we have been what's called, as I said already, the church age or the dispensation of grace. But can I tell you that that day will come to an end too. That period of time will cease to exist. It will move on to another And those who have placed their trust in Jesus Christ alone as their personal Savior will be caught out of this world. We often refer to that as the rapture. Look over at 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. Now make it verse 16. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. So Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again. He then ascends back to the Father. We have the day of Pentecost. We all know about it. 3,000 people are saved and added to the church. And boy, the church just takes off like a lightning bolt. I mean, it's just growing leaps and bounds in Jerusalem. God sends persecution along. And before we know it there, after that persecution takes place, we recognize that Paul the Apostle was called to the Gentile. He goes out ministering to the Gentiles. And can I tell you, we now experience what he laid the foundation for, and we are in the church age. We're seeing churches popping up all around the world. People are receiving and accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And those that have done just that, when Jesus returns again in the clouds, not all the way to the earth yet, when he comes back in the rapture, will catch us away, take us out of this earth. And can I tell you that it feels like we're getting closer and closer and closer every single day. Notice what he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord That takes place at the end of what's called this church age. We're still in it now, but we are drawing nigh to the end. And the moment that Christ returns in the clouds, he's going to catch us up and out. And when he does that, the church age ends. Then a period of time will begin called the tribulation. John sees a great multitude. Turn over to Revelation chapter 7, verse 14. Revelation chapter 7, verse 14. John sees a great multitude. 
A multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues. He sees them standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. Notice what it says in Revelation 7, 14. And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. Talking about who are these people. Well, you know who they are, sir, John says to this being. And he said to me, These are they which come out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They're coming out of great tribulation. So we have the church age. We have the rapture of the church. The tribulation will kick off at some point following. Seven years will the tribulation continue. And it's called the tribulation because that's what the Bible says it's called. And it's going to be great tribulation even, the Bible says at some point. Man, it's going to be horrible. No one wants to be on this earth when the great tribulation kicks off. We thought people die now in the world. There's nothing going to be like it. Millions upon millions upon millions of people will die. Billions will die even. You say, I don't believe it. Read the Bible. It's in a horrible thing. Think about one third of the population dying. Can't even wrap our minds around that. After those seven years, the Bible tells us Christ is going to return with the saints now. You and I will be among them. You turn to Revelation chapter 19, please. Revelation 19 now. So we have the resurrected Christ ascending back to be with the Father. We have the church age. Then the rapture takes place. And those that have placed their personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who have become part of the body of Christ, the Bible says, the family of God by faith in Christ Jesus, are raptured out. And they're with the Lord. The tribulation takes place seven years. The Antichrist issues a mark, 666, demands that every single person alive bears the mark or is executed. Every Jew is fleeing for their life because the Antichrist hates them more than Hitler could have ever hated them. And is trying to annihilate the entire race of people. Now we come to the end of the tribulation period. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ now comes back. It's called the revelation. We have the rapture up and out. We have the tribulation. And then we have the revelation of Jesus Christ revealing himself to all humanity again. Here he comes now, back to earth the second time. And you, what, you know what? You and I will be among them. We'll be with him. Look what the Bible says in Revelation 19, 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Verse 15. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he shall... And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Look at verse 19. 
And I saw the beast and the kings of the, of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. Oh, wait a second. Verse 19, we have a war that takes place, a battle. Often it's referred to as what people call Armageddon. Here, here it is. People talk about today there's problems in the Middle East. Oh no, Armageddon. No, Armageddon is going to happen yet. Still got to get through that tribulation period. And at the end of that tribulation period, Jesus Christ is going to return at the revelation. And when he does, Satan and his armies are going to gather together there and they're going to try to thwart his, his ability to take over and to place himself on the throne of David. I'm in charge. I'm number one, God. You're, you get out of here, Jesus. You got no place here. And Jesus goes, oh, really? That's how quick it happens. Look what happens. I mean, it's amazing to me. He says, and I saw the beast and the kings of the earth, verse 19, their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken and with him the false prophet. Wow. Any details for us, Lord? Not many. You know why? Because just like he created the world by speaking, he will win the battle by speaking. That sword comes out of his mouth and it's over. Now the beast and the false prophet, according to the passage, are cast in the lake of fire. Well, as for Satan, what happens to him? I didn't read anything about Satan there. You're correct. Look at Revelation chapter 20, verse 1 and 2. Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. What happens to Satan once Jesus Christ comes back? When he literally returns to the earth? We know that he returns after the church age and he takes out the church. Those that have put their personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who become part of the body of Christ, those who are in the family of God, they're taken out. The tribulation takes place for seven years. Horrible things are transpiring. The Antichrist is going crazy, killing people that don't want to submit to his authority and power and chasing after every Jew he can to destroy the, that race. And then Jesus returns. And when he does... The devil thinks, I'm going to hold him off. I'm going to battle him till, and done. The beast and the false prophet cast into the lake of fire. What's going to happen to Satan now? Well, the Bible tells us here in the book of Revelation 20, verse 1, And I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He's got a key to a place called the bottomless pit, He's got a great chain in his hand. What do we do with chains? We bind. Notice he says, And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. This is interesting. He binds Satan a thousand years. Do you know what's going to happen over the next thousand years, though? Jesus Christ is going to assume his rightful place on the throne of David. He's going to rule and reign with a rod of iron, and he's going to go ahead and usher in one of the, the best time the earth has ever known outside of the garden itself. And for a thousand years, people will live. and thousand years, people will, will work and will, will worship the Lord. A thousand years. And Satan will be bound for that thousand years. Oh, humanity will still have that, that atomic nature. Humanity will still have that inward. We like to say things like, you know, there's a spark of divinity in all humanity. 
It's a spark of Satan in all of us. Sin. The only spark you got of, 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 of godliness or, or, or a, a divinity is if Jesus Christ himself has taken up residency in your life by faith in Jesus Christ. Outside of that, you are just a wicked, vile, wretched sinner just like I am. And so anyway, nonetheless, he, he is bound for a thousand years. And now we, can, we see a thousand years, Jesus ruling and reigning on the throne of David. And then the thousand years ends, coming to a close. The Bible says, after a thousand years, look at chapter 20 now, verse 7. See, God is explaining to us what's going to happen. He's outlining it. He's laying it out for us. Look at what happens in Revelation 20, verse 7. And when the thousand years are expired... Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. And he's got one final hurrah. He's going to go after it one more time. Get one more opportunity. Verse 8. And shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went on uh, up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Wow, that was quick. And the devil that deceived them was cast into where? The lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. <laughs> so there in the tribulation period, the devil seems to get the upper hand. And I mean to tell you, he thinks he is really taking ground fast. And he is to some degree, or at least it would appear so. But Jesus Christ returns and the beast and the false prophet are cast into the lake of fire. Satan himself is bound by an angel and cast into the bottomless pit for 1,000 years. And there Jesus Christ rules and reigns on the throne of David, there in Jerusalem, along with his saints. And then Satan is loosed after 1,000 years. And he thinks, instead of thinking, you know, I ought to humble myself. Man, I know how it went last time. I, I'm going to be real careful this time. I'm going to go fall at Jesus' feet. I'm going to ask him to forgive me and to put me... No, he don't do that. He goes about deceiving again, just like he did before he went in. He comes out more angry than ever, more bitter toward God than ever. And God says, well, enough's enough. And he's cast into the lake of fire. A sure thing. See, listen. You, there you have it. You know who wins too now. It's a sure thing, right? It's a sure thing. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. There's nothing more truthful than the Word of God. God's Word is truth. And God's Word says that God's team wins. God's family reigns. Let me tell you something. We win. And the truth is, Satan loses. It's a sure thing. Now let me ask you, why would you or I or anybody in the human race bet on Satan when we know he loses? That isn't smart at all. This morning, 
You need to get on God's team if you're not already on it. You need to become part of the family of God. And you say, well, how do I do that? That's a great question. I'm glad you have it. Because if you have that question, there's hope for you, friend. Well, it starts with Galatians 3.26. We've read it a few, a once or twice. We quoted it even once or twice. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. You're all the children of God. That's implying you're part of a family then. You have a heavenly father. You're a child of God. That makes you his family. Hold on. How do I become part of the family? It says here to, by faith in Christ Jesus. Well, how do I exercise faith in Christ Jesus? What does that really mean? Number one, we admit he is who he claims to be. We admit that you have to admit that he's who he claims to be. And I'm going to run through these quickly because of time, but it says in Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. To confess means to agree with God. You have to agree with God that he is who he claims to be, that Jesus was indeed Messiah, that Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. That Jesus Christ is and still is the only acceptable sacrifice. 1 Timothy 3.16 says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. God became man. That's Jesus Christ. He's God, man. All God, all man. Simultaneously. How's that work, preacher? It's a mystery. That's what he just said. I don't have to know it because it's a mystery. You don't have to understand it all. It's a mystery. You say, but I don't like to do things like that. Let me tell you what, every day of your life you wake up and you see mysteries. Most people don't have a clue why the light clicks on. You say, well, there's electric going to it. How's that work? Where's all that electric come from? How do they ever get it like that? what's, What's going on here? I mean, I turned the key in my car, but I couldn't fix it if I tried. It just turns on and it runs. And I go, praise the Lord. And they say, well, how, how, what's causing that? I say, it's a mystery to me. All I know is it runs, praise God. I think about my wife and I think, why in the world would she want to stay with me? It's a mystery. <laughs> we admit he is who he claims to be. Number two, we have to admit that we are who he says we are we got to admit that we're who he says we are. You say, well, what, what, what am I? Well, the Bible tells us in Romans 3.10, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understand it. There's none that seek it after God. They're all gone out of the way. They're to be together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. As a result, we are without hope and without God, Ephesians 2.12, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. He's saying, listen, you weren't seeking God and neither was anyone else. God sought you. You were so far away from God, so separated by your sin that you wanted nothing to do with God in and of yourself. You say, but I always had a desire for God. Let me tell you what, if you got anything for God at all, it's because God allowed it in your life. And can I tell you, if you're being drawn at all, it's because of God's mercy and grace in your life. It's not because you're so good or godly like other people aren't. No, you're just like the rest of us. We're all just sinners and we need to be saved by the grace of God himself. He's wooing us. He's drawing us by his Holy Spirit and he's telling us that we're going to have to come to a conclusion, to a a choice, if you will. We're going to have to either choose to continue to stay on Satan's team or get on his team. We're going to have to choose to stay on in God's, uh, the God of this world's family, Satan, or in the God of the universe, God. 
We got one, that's a choice to be made. And we are who he says we are, sinners. And he is holy and righteous. We can't possibly dwell with him and live with him forever. We're sinners and he's perfect. We must admit that he's who he claims to be. We must admit that we are who he says we are. And finally, by faith, we have to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved from our sin. Again, it's not complicated, but in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved from their sin, saved from the consequences of that sin. In John 1:12, the Bible says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Boy, sons of God sounds a lot like family. Can I tell you that the moment that you put your personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are moved from this whole wicked, sinful family of Satan, and you are placed into the body of Christ and in the family of God, my friend. You become a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You're a new creature, a new creation. You say, That's, that seems kind of simple. Exactly. That's how God wants it. You know why? Because we're not all that smart. There's some people in this room that are so smart, and then there's others like me that aren't so smart. And can I tell you that I needed it simple, and maybe you need it simple, and God knows that it's better if it's simple, and so he made it simple. All you have to do is place your personal faith and trust. You've got to come to the conclusion that you're a sinner, that Jesus Christ is always holy and right, and that you can never dwell in his presence without someone intervening on your behalf. And that was Jesus who died 2,000 years ago and shed his precious, perfect, holy, righteous blood for you. And when he shed that blood, he shed that blood because he loved you and because he wanted you to become part of the family, because he wants you to dwell with him forever in a place called heaven. He doesn't want you to spend one moment in that place called the lake of fire. He doesn't want you to dip one toe or one finger there. He wants you to live forever with him. Get in the family of God and on the winning team this morning. It's a sure thing. Millions and millions of people and millions and millions of dollars will be bet on a game today. Nobody really knows the outcome. There's no guarantee. But this is a sure thing. Won't you accept Christ today? Won't you allow the Lord Jesus Christ who died for you 2,000 years ago to pay for your sin? And allow you to become part of his family today? Will you let him do that for you? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we ask, Lord God, that you would speak to hearts now. May your Holy Spirit bring conviction. Conviction of the sin in our life. That you will remind us that we are who you claim we are. Sinners separated from you, a holy God. That you'll remind us again through your spirit that you are... Your son, Jesus, was indeed God and man, that he literally took our place on Calvary and paid for our sin, and that he rose again the third day, just like the Bible says, and that the Holy Spirit make it clear to us that all we need to do is receive and accept Jesus by calling upon the name of the Lord and exercising our personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. Father, may you settle that today in our lives if we haven't already done so. Because, Lord, we know it's a sure thing. May no one gamble with their life or their eternity today. But may they just get in on this wonderful family.
We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand. Every head bowed.